shack, let's just say that a uh, snake bit your mom right up here, right in the chest area. Would you be willing to suck the venom out to win the title? No, but I will with your wife. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Pick and Roll Podcast. My name is Bill Golden. Alongside me, as always, will be Kevin McLernan. Kev, the NBA season has concluded. We saw... An epic NBA Finals. I don't want to say... I think it was one of the greatest, but it's hard to say that, uh, especially because we're still kind of in the moment. It's been a few days, but we're still in the moment of it, and I think you really need to look back at, at all the finals. But I'm pretty confident when I say that it's it's one of the greatest. So definitely, I would think, top 10. Yeah, and, I mean, when it comes down to that Game 7, uh, I mean, the last Game 7 we saw wasn't that close against the Spurs and Heat. Uh, so when you have a close game like that in Game 7, and it makes it even better. Exactly. I mean, I think a lot of people were a little disappointed in the fact that some of the games, especially earlier in the series, weren't so close. It was kind of an odd series to go seven games because there was such a big swing in a lot of those games, uh, you know, just with the scores and everything going back and forth. But all in all, I still think it was a great series. I can appreciate when one team executes really well and blows out another team, and then the other team comes back and does the same thing to them. It's not as great as close games, but it's still a lot of fun to watch when you know some of the teams are, are going off and, and scoring a lot and, and, and playing really well and stuff like that. But it was a great series. It went seven games, and that's all you can really ask for. Yeah, and uh, I mean, and the 3-1 uh, lead never happened before that it was blown, and having it, having it to the best team, uh, record-wise in the regular season ever is uh, just remarkable. Absolutely. I mean, like we said, for the NBA, ratings-wise, getting Steph and LeBron was the perfect scenario. And then I think you start to sweat when the Cavs go down 3-1. You wonder, man, is this going to be a short series? And I certainly thought it was over. I think most, I would say, 99% of people probably thought it was over. I mean, it might be exaggerating, but I, I didn't talk to anyone or hear anyone say anything other than it. the series was definitely over. Because of just how good the Warriors had looked. And we know, like you said, they won 73 games this year. And no one wants to doubt LeBron. And I'm sure we'll be a lot slower to do so in the future. But, you know, the NBA really, at the end of the day, got the perfect series. Because, you know, the Cavs were able to come back. And not that they won, but just to, just to force the Game 7 after being down 3-1. There was so much excitement after Game 5 going into Game 6. And then, obviously, going into Game 7. Uh, I, didn't, I haven't looked, and I'm sure that the ratings were probably set the all-time record. Yeah, I think I think they were the best ever. That's what Adam Silver said at the draft. And I think Game 7 was the highest since Jordan's final game with the Bulls. So, very good ratings. Wow, so it wasn't the highest ratings ever for the NBA for an NBA game. I'm not positive about that, but that's what I heard at one point. Wow, okay. I'm, I'm pretty surprised I thought it would have been. Just simply the fact that there's more people in the, in the U.S. now. And I think basketball globally is... Not a lot bigger, because Jordan did a lot for that also. But it's definitely grown a lot. I mean, Kobe did a lot for that. I mean, LeBron's a huge global icon. But a guy like Yao Ming, Dirk Nowitzki coming over and having a lot of success as a European. 
So the game has definitely grown globally as well, internationally. So I thought it would get better ratings. But obviously, Jordan was maybe, maybe arguably more of an icon at that point than LeBron is now. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I know how big of an icon he is now. But um, anyway, I mean, it was just a great series. I, I was shocked that, that LeBron and the Cavs were able to do it. Um, I'm so happy that they were able to do it because I think for LeBron's legacy, it does a lot. I think he, he gets a lot of heat, and I, I've made this argument before, and I'm just glad he got it because I think it'll be easier later to make the argument that he was the greatest ever, and I think that's the trajectory he's on. He's probably not there yet, but with the numbers and the trajectory he's on, I think, I think he's going to go down as the greatest ever or probably should. All right, I'm glad you brought up this topic because I really wanted to talk about it. Um, I don't want to get into a detail about where he is right now on the list. Right. But there was people um, after after the series was over saying that he was either tied with Jordan or at number two. And if that's your opinion, that's your opinion. But they were saying they had him maybe around four or five before the series. And I just don't understand how you move a guy up ahead of all those greats like Magic Bird, whoever he had in front of him to begin with, based on three games. And I understand it's another championship. It's another finals MVP. But it's three games. I mean, his, his legacy should not be decided by that. Well, there's, there's, there's a lot of emphasis on winning championships. And, I, again, this is something I've always, you know, had a problem with because it's a team game and you can only do so much by yourself. And LeBron does a heck of a lot by himself. And I – can you give credit to him winning another championship? Sure, that counts for something, of course, especially against that team. But again, it's a team accomplishment. I'll always count it that way. The other thing, though, that you can give him credit for is three unbelievable performances in a row. But I agree with you. It's only three games. It's one thing if you had LeBron and Jordan neck and neck coming into the series and you, you really didn't know which one was better and you saw those last three games from LeBron and said, wow, you know what? He probably is slightly better than Jordan was. But again, I'm with you. I think you look at, for me, I look at the whole body of work. I take those three great performances and I add it to a whole list of things that he's done in his career. But for me, exactly. it's, it's overall numbers. You know, where is he at? You know, he's been to six straight finals, seven total. He's won three of them. Again, that's a team thing, but it's, it's, there's a little individual aspect because of what percentage that he contributes to those accomplishments. But MVPs and all his total numbers of points and rebounds, he's in the top 100 in rebounds, assists, uh, you know, playoff numbers, all of that. But I'm with you. I mean, there's three great games, but they can't move the needle that much. And another thing, because yeah, I just listened to the podcast and the radio this week uh, after the series, was there's just some people who will refuse to give up the title uh, of best player ever to do it from Jordan. It, like no matter who will come around, they say Jordan's the greatest of all time, no matter what. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like somebody can be better than Jordan just because he was so good doesn't mean somebody can't be better than him. Right, and I've. I didn't think this would ever be a thing. I actually was pretty shocked to hear this. I've heard a lot of the same. And I'm going to call someone out in a second. I won't do it right this second. But I've heard a lot of this. And I I will. Don't worry. Uh, There's been so much of this. And it's, it's such a weird concept. Like, let's forget about it being Jordan for a second. Since when do we accept that something or somebody in the past is the greatest possibility ever? I don't even understand that. It's, it's really a sad idea that something that's already happened or someone's already existed is the greatest to ever do something that is still being done anyway, something that we're still participating in. That's, that's a yeah. crazy notion. 
But uh, and I agree. I mean, it, it's okay to say say your opinion is Steph Curry was the best player this year. Uh, okay, that's 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 your opinion on this. That that was this season only. Basketball is going to continue, and, and people have a chance of passing other people, which is why LeBron came about and is in this conversation. Now, look, there's like records we talk about all the time. Wilt scored 100 points a game. Gretzky's got almost 3,000 points, I think it is. These records seem unbreakable, and I would bet maybe not on Gretzky's. But definitely on Wilt's 100, that's, no one's probably ever going to break that. But I'm not going to say it's impossible. How can you say that? That's, that's what basically people are saying. It's impossible to be better than Jordan. But the person I'm going to call out is Charles Barkley. First of all, he doesn't have LeBron in his top seven, which I guess you can make a legitimate argument for if you want to say he's only played 13 seasons. But even taking his 13 seasons, he's accomplished enough probably to make an argument to put him in the top seven if he stopped playing today. And even if you want to take it outside of that and just say, how about just his total skill? Has anyone been this skilled? If you take the whole game top to bottom, I would argue no. I think he's the greatest top to bottom player ever. But you have to look at all the accomplishments that go along with it. And I think he still fits in the top seven if he ever plays again. But for Charles Barkley literally said the same thing that you're saying, that no matter what LeBron does in the future, he still can't be better than Michael Jordan. And, you know... I know Barkley's on TV and everything, but really, I got to question his, you know, IQ if that's a statement that he's going to be making. I mean, how can someone, what if LeBron, someone on the radio I heard, what if LeBron wins the next eight titles and scores 40,000 points in his career and get his top 10 in rebounds and top 50, top 50 in rebounds and top 10 in his top five in assists? How are you going to say something like that? That's, that's silly. Yeah, but Jordan, Jordan was six for six in finals, man. <laughs> That's, that's all that matters to some people. They they see that perfect number, and why why should you penalize players like LeBron for getting to the finals more? Jordan lost in the early rounds. Like it's not like Jordan wasn't playing those years. It's not like he played six seasons, made it to the finals all six seasons and won. Like he went to the playoffs, he lost a lot. Right, it, and I mean <laughs> the thing that goes along with that is that I think some people go the last six full seasons he played, he won the championship, and I get that, and. That's a heck of an accomplishment, and it may never be done again. But, you know, it's over. It's in the past. That's what happened. And I agree with you. I think the other thing, too, that, that I always try to go back when you're talking about LeBron versus Jordan, and I, I think I'm not there yet. Maybe. I don't know. But the, when you have that conversation, the thing is you have to look at the whole team. And LeBron's lost a couple finals, sure, but he lost to teams that were Probably better than his teams. Now, the Mavericks series, I would probably disagree with. But he lost to a really good Spurs team. And then you got to look at the old Spurs team he lost to. That final shouldn't even count. Are you kidding me? And last year's Warriors team was definitely better than last year's Cavs team. He didn't even have a Kyrie or Kevin Love. And I know like it's, it, when you pile it up, it sounds like you're making excuses. But at the end of the day, his teams just weren't as good and they lost. Yeah, I mean, the Mavs one is, is one that people will always talk about, and deservedly so. They they lost four straight games, I think, right? They went up 2-0 and then lost four um, to the Mavericks. I'm not I'm not positive, but it was they sh- I, okay. I will always agree that they should have won that series. And you can add on the fact, even if you don't want to go that route because it's a team game, really, if you want to look at LeBron, because LeBron showed up in the rest of the finals. That finals... He, he evaporated. I mean, he, he disappeared. And I think that's where he deserves the heat. It's okay, I think, to lose a series to a better team, even though they were worse. Sometimes you lose, but not when you evaporate. It's one thing to score 35 and lose a series. It's another when you don't even, you don't even touch the ball or whatever he was doing. Yeah, and, and there's, there's other conversations about it. Was Kyrie the best teammate that he's ever had in the finals? And 
people forget Wade played very, very good. He was the best player on that team in that Maverick series. I listen. And sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just I'm just saying that's my opinion. That I mean, Kyrie played very, very well. I'm not saying he didn't, uh, but people have short memories and forget that even though they lost, Wade played well against the Mavericks. This conversation is so offensive and ridiculous, okay? It's so ridiculous. And I know I've drank some Miami Kool-Aid. Do people forget so fast how good Dwayne Wade was? You're talking about a guy. Listen, Kyrie can score the basketball. He's got nasty handles. He's he, listen. He's not the best passer I've ever seen. He's an excellent passer. He does not a big assist guy. He doesn't go out and get rebounds. He plays pretty good D. I, the, the heat that that the people down here were giving some heat to Kyrie defensively. I don't think he's that. But I think he's a decent defender. But people forget Dwayne Wade. You're talking about every facet of the game. A guy who still at that point could take over games. Dwayne Wade now is still really good. You know, what he was when, when he was playing with LeBron, he was way better. Kyrie's really, really good. Don't get me wrong. He was unbelievable in the series. Wade was way better than Kyrie was right, is right now. Way better. So Wade's stats were 26.5 points per game, 7 rebounds, 5.2 assists. I mean— And then even— one and a half steals and one and a half blocks. Exactly. That's oh, every—he plays every facet of the game well. He does everything well. And it's amazing when Kyrie scores 40. Look, some of the shots he was taking, you know, there was a little Iverson to me, a little Kobe. You know, he's, he's his own player, but you can see some of those. Some of the shots, the degree of difficulty was ridiculous. Don't get me wrong, but he's not Dwayne Wade yet. And he might get there. He really might. I mean, he's still young, but he, he's, not, he's not where Dwayne Wade was, no. And, and Game 5 was, in my opinion, the best performance of anybody in the series, maybe. Uh, Kyrie's Game 5. Yeah. 41 points, and he shot, what, 80%, and yes. they were all difficult shots. Ridiculous. It was just crazy to watch. Yes, ridiculous. But I think the proof is, is in the fact of what LeBron did. As good as Kyrie was, for LeBron to leave both teams in points, rebounds, uh, assists, blocks, <laughs> and steals, first of all, one day we're going to look back and appreciate this series a little bit more. I, I know I do, and I'm pretty sure you do. A lot of people don't realize what they just witnessed. I don't know we're ever going to see that again. No one had ever done that in a playoff series. He did it in the finals. And it's and against the, with you're playing with Kyrie. Kevin Love was kind of absent in the series. But Tristan Thompson's a big-time rebounder. You're playing against uh, Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson. The fact that he did that is is going to go down as one of the greatest accomplishments ever. It's just, But I think that's proof of how lackluster I think some of the other guys, and I don't want to give no credit to his teammates because there was a lot of good performances. Kyrie was amazing in a lot of those games. But I think, I think you know, comparing the two teams, LeBron had a lot more help on the Heat. Yeah, he did. And, I mean, when you play with a guy like Wade and a guy like Bosch, that helps because, like you said, Love really wasn't around and he was the other one in the big three. Uh, so it just wasn't there. But, man, those last three, four games from Kyrie and LeBron, I mean, game five is the best performance of two teammates. Nobody's ever scored 40 points together. Right. Um, it's, it's just, I mean, yeah, like we said, it was highly improbable. I picked the Cavs in the beginning of the series uh, to win in six games, but when we talked again, down 3-1, of course, I, I turned against them because playing, playing the Warriors down 3-1, nobody, they haven't lost three straight games since, what, three seasons or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, I so. mean, I, I, like I said earlier, I mean, nobody had the Cavs coming back. I mean, maybe a few diehard Cleveland fans, but, you know, maybe the Cavs themselves, although I, I have some doubt about that. I think they had a one-game-at-a-time mindset, which is the only mindset you can have. But I think the reason that 
LeBron was weeping. I mean, he was weeping. It wasn't just winning the championship again. It wasn't just for Cleveland. I think it was for him. He was shocked, honestly. It was it was all of that plus the shock of actually coming back from being down 3-1 against this team. You know, it hit him all at once. And, I mean, look at the way Ty- Tyrone Lou is weeping. I mean, and, and oh, obviously when these things happen, guys cry. But there was, I think, a little added emotion because I think a lot of them were honestly a little bit surprised that they were able to actually come back from down 3-1. And plus, if anybody ever wanted to see J.R. Smith with his shirt off, I mean, they had plenty of footage now. <laughs> It's all around. I saw some somebody tweeted out that uh, they said they don't think J.R. Smith is ever going to wear a shirt again. I mean, every picture <laughs> I've seen with this guy since the championship, he doesn't have a shirt on. But hey, look, you win the championship, you're allowed to, you know, you're allowed to go out and party and do your thing. He's having a good time, and it's good for him, man. I know he was he was crying after the game too. I mean, he's played in the NBA for I think probably ten seasons or so. He's been around, and he played on a lot of losing teams. I think the Nuggets, and uh, I think he's on the Knicks. I don't think either of those teams ever made the playoffs. I could be wrong about that. And even no, if they, he was on the, the Nuggets made it with a lot. I mean, Mello made the playoffs. Oh, no. Okay, he was with Mello there. Endeavor. Okay, yeah. So yeah, but, but they I never mean, did anything in the playoffs? Right. Yeah, that was my next thing. They, they, if they did make it, and they did, like you said, they just they never really got far. I mean, he he never really got far into for to play your career and then win. You know, obviously he's not at the end of his career, but. Um, you know, it's good for them. They're partying and it's, you know, it's, uh, it's a big deal. I mean, it's a huge accomplishment that that parade was, was insane. I think there was a million and a half people they said were out there in the streets. So that's pretty cool. Well, let's turn to the opposite side of it and talk about the Warriors for, for a second here. I mean, does, does the Draymond suspension become more of a thing now that they lost? I mean, they had two, two opportunities to close it out besides that. So I'm not saying that's the reason they lost, but, and Draymond, by the way, fantastic game seven. That's he was the only one that really showed up for them, uh, just making every three that he took too. Um, does does that suspension look bad now uh, for the NBA? I mean, maybe he deserved it or not, but did it make a difference? Well, it definitely made a difference, but I don't think that you know how I feel about with the suspensions. And I I, I heard some people start to say, well, they shouldn't have suspended him. And at the time, they said this because it's the finals, and I don't agree with that. The rule is the rule. And so if you suspend a guy in the regular season, but we've already had this discussion. But no, I think because it was game five, when we look back, I don't think it's going to play that big of a part. Because, you know, I think both sides of the argument, one person might say, well, they had two times, two, you know, the person that's going to fight the other way. But even the guy who says, well, you know, they suspended Draymond for game five is still going to have to say to himself, yeah, but they still had two chances to close it out. They have to live with that. They had their full roster for two games. Well, Bogut was missing, and I think you can make an argument that that Bogut had a bigger role than I think many people realize. I mean, bigger role than I realize because that made a that made maybe the biggest difference in the series. I think, honestly, I think the Warriors might have been. I don't want to say that, but Bogut missing was was a big deal for them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I just I, yeah, people don't realize because Kevin Love had so many rebounds in that game seven and. I mean, I'm not saying he wouldn't have had all those, but Bogut's definitely, he plays 15 minutes hard uh, and is going for every rebound. I mean, I think he would have made a difference. Not sure it would have been a game-changing difference that the Warriors would have won. But, I mean, those shots they took in the last, I don't think they even scored in the last three and a half minutes. Steph Curry was taking runners from threes. It was just, I mean, that's what happens when you play that many games and you sit the fourth quarter in the regular season. Like, I don't blame them because they were that good in the regular season. They were killing teams. But 
you don't get that experience of playing those close games, and they just seemed lost in the last three minutes. Well, that's a good point, the lack of experience. I was thinking a fatigue thing, too. I was going to ask you if you thought some of that was in there because I, I didn't see too much of it, but it's possible. But that's a good point. I didn't think about that. There could be a real lack of, of late game, close game experience. Also, I think with Steph, and I think this is his biggest criticism, is that when he doesn't, and I said this, I've said this about him before, his last finals, I think I brought it up. When he's not shooting and he's not scoring, he doesn't really do much else. So, I, you know, he is a superstar because he makes that much of an impact in the game. But his other facets is the thing that he really needs to work on if he wants to be at the status of these other guys. And this is why he doesn't belong in the conversation. I don't even think – I would make an argument that you could argue he's not in the top five players because the other facets of his game are not developed. He only shoots and scores. Can we really say a guy that only does one thing on the floor? He can't play any defense. He is horrible on defense. I mean, Ky- really, Kyrie was looking his chops every time he had him. Oh, man. How can you call a guy a superstar? He, does, he can't guard anybody. And and I don't get me wrong, Kyrie is a heck of a player, and like he was so hot. I mean, you know, Clay, who Mark Jackson over exaggerates how good he is at defense, by the way. But Clay's a great defender, but Kyrie was making him look silly at times. So you know, I, I can't blame Steph too much for for Kyrie, but he really can't guard anyone. But just back to Bogut for a second. The other thing too about Bogut is he's a good shot blocker, and even if he's not, he still he still affects a lot of shots at the rim. And in Game Five, LeBron is hitting from the outside. So when he's sitting from the outside, doesn't really matter. But I think LeBron played so well in those next two two games because of a less impact from less impact from Bogut. When he when Bogut's not down low, LeBron can go inside, and when LeBron gets it going inside, he can step outside a little bit more. But that I think was the biggest difference with Bogut being on the floor was allowing LeBron to be more aggressive because there was less shot blocking ability at the rim. Because Draymond's a great defender, but once LeBron gets him in the post, what's he going to really do? Yeah, and I mean, you, you can say that the Warriors kind of, kind of choked and kind of blew it. Uh, I think we both agree that uh, the Cavs won this series, though, right? I actually disagree with you. No, I don't agree with you. Oh, really? Yes, I think that um, you can't lose to two guys. You can't lose to one, and I don't think you can lose to two. And I think they lost to two players, and they're way too good of a team to allow that to happen. They almost let themselves get beat by two players in the series before. And I know how good LeBron is. He's one of the greatest of all time. We already talked about this. But no, you can't be up 3-1 with that team that's that good. That was very disappointing from them. And the thing that I said before, it's kind of the similar with what with happens with Steph. When they're not making their shots, the team them, th- themselves, they really... And I, I, you can They're say disinterested on the defense. Yes, you have to make sure when your shots aren't. Because listen, when their shots are going in, yeah, you can you cannot play defense as well. You can let a rebound go, etc. When your shots aren't going in, every other facet of the game has to be perfect, and they have the talent to do that. Lock in defensively, make crisp passes, get good open shots, set good screens, etc., etc. Do everything else well, because they're to me still they're the better team out of these two, without a doubt in my mind. But they got they just. They honestly, it looked like they quit at times during the last couple of games. Yeah, and the one thing I'm I'm pretty disappointed about looking back now, I don't know if you remember the play. Uh, it was at the end of Game Seven. The ball was passed to Steph, and he was closer to half court than the three point line, and he kind of thought about putting it up, and then he, he just kind of pump faked it. And I really wish he put it up. <laughs> he wound up getting a bad shot, but I I think he had a better chance of making the one. That, like, four feet away from half court than he did of what he took. Yeah, I mean, you know, his range is is almost, you know, unlimited inside a half court. And probably not to the corners, but a couple feet in, 
that's all within his range. That's probably what normal guys, you know, NBA players shoot from regular three. I mean, he really does have that accuracy that far out. Now, obviously, he's not going to shoot what he does at the three-point line, but I'm, I'm, all I'm saying is he's still pretty accurate, you know, several feet behind the three-point line. It's really not a bad shot when he's open. Like, like Mark Jackson, I think, says in Van Gundy during the broadcast, you know, when, when he comes down and he takes a crazy quick shot, you might think it's a bad shot, but it's really not. That's in the flow of his game. That's what he does. That's how he gets his confidence, and that's that's those are the shots that he takes and makes normally. So you know, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have minded that. But yeah, I mean, like you said, in the last couple of minutes, they took a lot of bad shots in in terms of uh, you know the running three, or they were you know covered, and there just wasn't a lot of execution. Like you said, it just seemed like they didn't know what to do. A lot of standing around, et cetera. Yeah, and it's definitely going to be an interesting off season for. Both those teams, uh, you know, is Kevin Love still going to be there or is he going to be traded? It's, I mean, Kevin Love was very good in the playoffs besides that final, so it's just really kind of their matchup against the Warriors that uh, is really bad for him. Um, and Warriors are supposedly going after Kevin Durant, so we'll, <laughs> that would be uh, that would be something. Yeah, um, we can we can talk a little bit about that, I guess, after the break if we want to. Uh, we're going to take a quick little break, and when we get back, we're going to talk. Uh, a little bit about the NBA draft, maybe some Sixers talk. Uh, we're also going to be joined by Bob Long himself uh, to talk a little bit NBA draft with us for a few minutes after the break as well. And then I guess we can talk uh, a little speculation about some free agency and also some of the moves that were made on draft night. So we'll be right back. Elmark Signs and Graphics, your choice for custom signs and design, has been servicing the Philadelphia area for over 30 years. From illuminated signs to vehicle wraps, Elmark Signs is your choice for all your custom signs needs. Elmark delivers high-quality signs with a courteous, helpful, and experienced staff. Visit them at elmarksigns.com or give them a call at 610-692-0525. Again, that's elmarksigns.com, 610-692-0525. Go check out their website for some great examples of signs that Elmark has created, and be sure to tell them that Bob Long Sports sent you. ElmarkSigns.com, your choice for custom signs and design. Hey, Bob Long Sports fans, how can you stay involved with the site anytime? A reminder to follow us on Twitter, at Bob Long Sports. You can also access our Facebook group. Just search Bob Long Sports, and it'll come right up. And then, if you have a smartphone, you can listen to any of our live programming by visiting the Ustream app, that's U-S-T-R-E-A-M, searching Bob Long Sports, all one word, and you can access any live programming on the Bob Long Sports Network. So be sure to stay connected to Bob Long Sports. Bob Long Sports, Bob Long Sports, your daily dose of sports. Sports. BobLongSports.com gives you not only the best radio broadcasts on the internet, but plenty of articles as well. Stay up to date on your Penn State football team. Stay up to date on college football, the MLB, the NFL, and every other major sport out there. Tune in to all the radio shows and be sure to check our website regularly to see what content we have up now. And when you hear that jingle... Bob Long Sports, Bob Long Sports, your daily dose of sports. Sports. You know you're in the right place. Welcome back to the Pick and Roll Podcast. Uh, we are now talking NBA draft. Big time for a Sixers fan. Uh, and we're also going to welcome in uh, Bob Long. Uh, how you doing, Bob? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me today. Anytime. Yeah, anytime. We're going to talk about the Sixers. Uh, big draft, number one pick, Ben Simmons, um, Bob, Bill. Is it who we wanted? I guess I can start. I think uh, I think it absolutely is. You know, this is 
one of the things where you don't want to think too, too hard about it, right? Brandon Ingram was a guy that had a great second half, shot the ball well. I understand why there are qualities about him that, that people would like. But from day one, this was Ben Simmons' draft. From the day he stepped on campus at LSU, it was only a matter of time before he left and seemingly only a matter of time before he was the number one pick. Uh, 6'10", can handle the ball like a point guard, yet to really shoot the ball consistently uh, or particularly well from the case of the foul line, but has all the tools you want to be. You know, you don't want to start comparing him to a LeBron James, but has those physical qualities. And LeBron wasn't really a shooter at the time he came into the game either. But what I see here is a guy that can really tie things together for the Sixers and bring the skill set very unique to this draft. So I, I think it was the pick to make for the Sixers. Yeah, for me as well, I think it was definitely the guy that they should have grabbed. I mean, I don't care who had the first pick. This is, like you always say, Kev, when you're drafting this early, you don't draft for position. You draft the best guy available, especially when he's, to me, I think he was maybe not head and shoulders above Ingram, but definitely a little bit better right now. And I think his, his ceiling is just a little bit higher as well. And like like Bob said, you don't want to compare him to LeBron now, but the skill set is kind of similar. And I think if you got a poor man's version of that here in these first couple of years, I think for me, I'd be super happy with that. And I've heard a lot of people say, oh, maybe he could play point guard. I think that's a little bit of a stretch. But I think, you know, maybe after the first season or two, like you see with LeBron, this might be a guy who handles a lot of the, ba- the basketball a lot, uh, you know, setting up the offense. But for right now, I think that, that he should just focus on the other aspects of his game and, and let that kind of stuff come to him a little bit later. Yeah, I think it was a great draft for the Sixers. I mean, getting Ben Simmons at one was clearly the pick they wanted, uh, the best player uh, available, and he, he's just what this team needs, I think. Can play the three or four at the next at the next level, uh, maybe, um, and definitely can handle the ball for them. Uh, let's move on to their number 24 and number 26 picks. Because uh, I know you really like these picks, Bob. I've only seen highlights of them. Uh, what do you like, Luwalu and Furkan Korkmaz? I'll tell you what. For one, I, I think they are steals because there was a concern amongst the other teams that, that they wouldn't be able to come over right away. right? And So I think a lot of times those folks will uh, slide down in the draft. You even saw it. Not that Sarge went late, particularly, but you, know, you could have seen him going in the vendor space uh, if, they, if a team thought he was going to go to the United States right away. So I, what I see in these guys, Korkma is a guy that can really shoot the basketball. Luau is a, a guy that can spread the floor extremely well, um, has great athleticism, defense, and fills that three role that the Sixers uh, really seem to, to be lacking. And it seems like he can play the two as well. They don't have a pure point guard out of either of those guys or Simmons, and I'll certainly grant that. But, again, I think this is still a building process. It may frustrate some to hear that. But I'm worried much, much less about how many big guys they have and how many guys are coming to America this year. I'm much less worried about that and more worried about the talent they have on the roster. And this is going to give them more flexibility of the contract situations that are upcoming over the next couple of years by the time these guys do come over. Uh, all in all, I think these are wonderful picks. And I saw a lukewarm reaction to it, and maybe you guys can tell me better. But uh, I just had to joke with myself. Imagine if the exact same picks were made at 24 and 26, and yet it was still Sam Hinkie 
in charge. Uh, I wonder if the reaction would have been different from the Philadelphia 76 or faithful. Well, I mean, out of the three of us, you're the one in Philly. So, I mean, you're going to see the reaction better than us. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I kind of agree. I think people weren't really sure how to react. They don't know too much about the international players. Um, but these were guys that were higher up on a lot of draft boards, like you said, and just fell uh, because teams are scared they're not going to come over. From what I hear, though, they both want to come over right away. Uh, not sure if the Sixers are going to do that and take the buyouts from their international teams, but we'll see. Uh, let's yeah, move on to this. Boz, well, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sorry to jump in, but I think no Fort Boz's, uh buyout is actually in excess of his annual salary. That may or may not be correct, but I believe that that is the case. Now, it's still not a high dollar amount. might not prohibit the Sixers from bringing him over, but it is certainly – Certainly of note. I guess on a, a more lighthearted note, uh, when you guys were watching the draft, Fran Fraschilla obviously lives for international players and breaking them down and does a wonderful job of scouting what's a very difficult uh, angle to take with the NBA draft. But when Wilbon was going back and forth and saying, I can't believe that Philadelphia continues to do this, you got to look out for the fans. And then they drafted Korkmaz. Fraschilla comes on and says, I know what Wilbon's about to say. Are you forking Korkmaz? And, uh, <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty good from Fraschella. I'm sure he had that lined up for hours, but it was a yeah. time to lay it out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not positive about that, that buyout like you're talking about, so I'll take your word for that. Um, but, I mean, you mentioned the big man, and they're, they're all still on the roster. I am, I don't want to say happy, but I'm happy there wasn't a trade that they gave up too much and got little in return. They, they weren't forcing a trade, which I was happy about. Bill, we were texting back and forth. Uh, are you happy they're also on the team? Yeah, I mean, I would like to have seen a trade. I, I don't think I was as, you know, about it as a lot of uh, Sixers fans were. I think people were even, like, disappointed that they hadn't made a trade. And I know we texted and we couldn't believe that they hadn't done anything. And I'm a little surprised by that. But at the end of the day, I don't. I'm, I, like I've said before about the Sixers right now, like Bob said, this is still a building process. So there's no rush right now. We can take our time and we can let the trade come to us. And we, you know, I think right now we're not in a situation or a jam where we have to get rid of guys or players or picks or whatever. Right now we can see what we have, and if and if we you know get a trade offer that we like, then we we, we make the trade. But I, I heard some rumors about trading for the number three pick and there was Noel and I think another guy and two other picks and that just would have been too much I, I'm glad that they, they didn't go through with that and I, like I said I just think we have time right now and there's, there's no rush to make any moves well, it's, a, it's a really simple question right that I don't think enough people are asking what's a deeper draft this year or last year is the third pick this year more important or more valuable than the third pick last year I don't understand anybody that thinks that whether whoever the Sixers would have taken, Jamal Murray, Chris Dunn, uh, Bender, I don't know who they would have taken at that pick, but is that really a more valuable pick than Jaleel Okafor, a guy that was the consensus number one for about three-fourths of last season? I don't see it that way. Well, that's exactly what... Go ahead, Kev. I was going to say people are very narrow-minded, and they, I mean, they hear that they see Golden State play, and they just don't see Jaleel fit in that. And, I mean, you don't have to copy what Golden State did. Golden State didn't even win this year, and we saw that. Um, so you, you don't have to build your team like everybody else has. I agree with both of you guys. It's, 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 um, 
you know, you don't have to copy whatever's working for one team just because they won the championship last year. And they did win 73 games this year. It's a credit to them. But like Kev said, they still didn't win the championship. And even if they had, that doesn't mean that that's the only formula for success. It just so happens that in the past few drafts, there's not there hasn't been a lot of dominant big men. And that's why the league's gone that way. But these past few drafts, there's been some really good big men, and we happen to get them. And honestly, I think it's just as much a problem for us to look at, you know, play a team that's smaller, for them to play a team like us. If we have guys that can play down low, it's going to be tough for them to guard us as well. And calling a spade a spade, talking about Golden State, it also just so happens that they have two once-in-a-generation shooters. I mean, the two best shooters in the game of basketball on the same roster. So they probably could flip Jaleel out there and be just fine. Uh, what, what happens on the perimeter is because of the talent they have on the perimeter, not just the type of offense or the small parts of the game or the pick and roll, even though all that helps in the way they run their offense, you can't, you can't mimic two once-in-a-generation shooters on the floor at the same time. Yeah, Sean Livingston and Andre Iguodala are just great shooters. I agree, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do want to get to one more trade, which didn't involve the Sixers, because uh, it involved the team in the conference finals. Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder traded Serge Ibaka and got in return Victor Oladipo, Ersan Ilyasova, and DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, Bob, uh, I mean, I really like Sabonis. I like this trade for the Thunder. Your thoughts? Love this trade uh, for the Thunder specifically because I do like Sabonis as well. He's a guy that can come in and, and be NBA ready, I think, and that may surprise some people because of the fact that he did play at Gonzaga, but I think that he's a guy that's ready to step in. I mean, he's made tremendous strides with his body over the last 12 months, gotten a lot stronger and more physical inside from what we saw in 2014-2015. In and then Oladipo, I think, is a guy that it's a great sort of mesh fit. And Kevin, Bill, you guys know me as a guy that really likes to stray away from those types of things on the field, et cetera. But I think there's something to the fact that Kevin Durant and Oladipo, they know them, they know them they're fairly well. They're both from the Washington, D.C. area. And obviously teams are trying different ways to woo Kevin Durant besides just the dollars and cents. And so uh, I think this is a great move to move Serge Ibaka, who – just didn't seem to be thrilled about his role in Oklahoma City, we'll say. And I think it gives him an opportunity to go be more of a star presence on a team because he's a heck of a player as well. And then Sabonis, he's not going to step in and be that exact role that Serge Ibaka does, but gives them some size on the front court and kind of alleviates the, the situation that seemed to be emerging over the course of this year where Ibaka wasn't thrilled. I agree. I, I really like this trade also for Oklahoma City. I think it solidifies their starting lineup to the point where I think all five of their starters are really good players. Um, I, I just I guess I'm not that big of a fan of Roberson, and I'd, I'd love to see him coming off the bench. And I, I think they get a little bit of deeper, to, a little bit deeper too. Like you said, they're going to get Sabonis, and I don't know as much uh, about that situation as you do. I trust that if you say he's going to be ready, he probably will be. But you know, I I like. If it, even if it's not right now, whenever he is NBA ready, I think he's going to be a pretty good player. Definitely someone who can contribute for a team like Oklahoma City, as good as they are. And they got Ilyasova as well. So I think, you know, the trade, honestly, they got maybe equal or better total talent back. But also you traded one player for three, obviously. And that adds depth to your team, which I think is important. 
Yeah, and, and Bob, we know you have to go to some wedding festivities. So uh, before we let you go, uh, any teams that did a good job, bad job, or uh, any other thoughts you have before you head out? Yeah, interesting. I'll start with the Boston Celtics because they had a – obviously, was it the most picks with five in the draft? It had to be up there if it wasn't the, the number eight one. Picks. Was it eight? Eight picks, yeah. Three, three in the first, five in the second. Okay. Well, I'm going to highlight two particular picks in the second round that I love. I think you probably know where I'm going with this one. But the first is to um, add some backfield to the point guard position with Demetrius Jackson out of Notre Dame, a guy that is lightning quick, um, a very, very good player, came into his own after Jerry and Grant left. And honestly, even in the year prior when, when Grant was there as a senior and those two were the ones in the backcourt. I think that's a great move to backfill at point guard. And then Ben Bentel, a guy that if you look at where he got drafted, you know, mid to late second round, probably would second guess the decision to come out at this point. But I think Boston got a real playmaker that for whatever reason, guys at the NBA level, these scouts are not, they're just not seeing or not agreeing with what I saw all year at Providence. And, there's a little bit of a size thing, 6'9", heading into 6'10 area. Uh, he's not going to necessarily be eye-to-eye with a Steven Adams or, or some of the big seven-footers that you're seeing in the game right now. But he's physical. He's DeWan Blair, but, but four inches taller and uh, with a better outside shot. And so when I say DeWan Blair, he is that strong down low. I think Ben Bentle's a great pick. And so as sort of underwhelmed as I was with, Boston's first-round picks, I think those two particular second-round picks have the chance to be impact players. Yeah, I really didn't like the Jalen Brown pick, but uh, I thought thought they had a lot of other options on the board, too. Very, very interesting because the the way that third pick went, you know, could have been anywhere from Heald to Dunn to to Brown, like you said. Jamal Murray falls to six. I mean, three through six or seven I, I found to be very, very interesting theater on Thursday night. Yeah, Mary actually fell to seven. He went six, so. Uh, oh, that's right. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And then I guess the last comment I'll make is I'm really, really glad that Kay Felder got picked. I think that's just awesome. Kay Felder out of Oakland, guy that put us uh, just scared the living daylights out of Michigan State this year at the Palace of, of Auburn Hills, which is no more than about seven miles from where I am right now. But uh, really excited to tell that I got picked. Well, one more thing before you go. My dad actually was the one who informed me of this, but uh, a local guy to us, um, someone that we played against uh, at Holy Ghost, and a guy who went to Villanova, uh, Ryan Archidacano, getting signed by the San Antonio Spurs. I think that's a pretty good, a pretty, pretty big deal and, and, and partially guaranteed contract as well. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that real quick. Very, very excited for Arch. Uh, A heck of a player. If you ask me, before the season, I would have said destined for Europe uh, or some associated league or some some other type of league like that. But very excited that he's going to get his shot at the league. You know, he's he's a better TJ McConnell. Uh, McConnell, a guy that has seen minutes granted on a very poor 76ers team, but a guy that has a role in this league similar to a Tim Frazier guy that went undrafted but has made his way in the NBA uh, serving 10-day contracts and then getting on the floor with starting minutes at times. I think Arch is those two guys, but he's a better pure shooter, and he's entering into really a great system. You know, the only 
The only issue with going into a great system is you have a lot of great players there. So is the depth going to be an issue from rising from, say, this NBA Summer League that he's going to be participating in uh, to that final roster? And, and whether he sees that time, I'm not sure whether it will happen with San Antonio or someone else. But if he does find his way onto the floor, which is going to be very difficult, but that's a program that puts players – like him, in a position to be successful. So I'm very excited for him. All right, Bob, thanks for joining us. We appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully uh, this time next year we're talking about how well the Sixers did in the draft and yeah. in the NBA Finals. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait for the uh, the 30th pick next year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take care. All right. Enjoy. Thanks, Bob. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, Arch is, I mean, that's a good pickup for the Spurs. He's got to compete with Murray, also the number 29 point guard out of Washington, but glad to see him get a really good chance there. Yeah, I've always said if I was going to get drafted in the NBA, which was never going to happen, but just hypothetically, the franchise I would want to go to is San Antonio. They always seem to put players in a position that works for them, and, and, and they seem to develop their players really well. And obviously it's up to the individual, and I think Arch has the work ethic. I mean, we see, we've seen how much better he's got over, over four years. I mean, he was excellent as a freshman, as we know, but he, he still developed his game and got better each year. So we know he has the work ethic, and that's the program, like Bob was saying, that you know that's the team for me that I'd want to be on. And I think maybe it's possible that – he plays in the summer league, and then they they may send him over to Europe and say, you know, when we need you, we'll call you. And that's not a bad situation to be in either. But uh, I was a little surprised, to be honest, that he got the contract from the Spurs. But I'm really happy for him, and it's really cool, and I, I hope that it works out for him. Yeah, and uh, well, let's talk about one more trade. It happened before the draft. Um, the Jeff Teague, George Hill, and the number 12 pick um, with the Jazz Hawks, and uh, Pacers, uh, who, who do you think won this trade? Did anybody really lose? Teague's entered their, I think Teague's the best player in there, uh, but he's entering a contract. So uh, who's the winners and losers out of that trade? I, I like the trade for both teams, I think. Um, I, I just don't think that— All three, because the, the, the Jazz, Hawks, and Pacers were all in it. Oh, I didn't realize the Jazz—I I missed that. I'm sorry. The Jazz got what out of that deal? The, the Jazz gave up the 12th pick and got George Hill. Oh, see the trade that yeah, I so saw. I I didn't I hadn't double checked. The trade that I saw was a trade, but I thought a trade between the Atlanta Hawks and the Indiana Pacers. Nah, yeah. So so all three teams were involved. So the, the Hawks gave up the twelfth pick, or sorry, got the twelfth pick for Jeff Teague. Pacers gave up George Hill, got Jeff Teague, and uh, the Jazz uh, gave up the twelfth pick and got George Hill. If I said that correctly. I, wait, so, I'm sorry, what did the Hawks give up? Because I thought you said they gave up. The Hawks, they gave up Teague. They gave up Teague, and they got what back? The 12th pick? The, the 12th pick, correct. Oh, I, I understand. Um, I guess I would say I still like it for the Pacers. They gave up George Hill and got Jeff Teague back. And then, yeah, I like that also. Yeah, the Jazz gave up the 12th, and they get George Hill. I think I like that too. And I think I like it for everyone. The Hawks only getting the 12th pick back, I don't know. But they didn't really need Jeff Teague, I don't think. I mean, he's a great player and he's helpful. But Dennis Schroeder, like you said, has been pretty good, pretty good and better. And and like you said, Teague's in a contract year, especially if they were already kind of had the idea that he wasn't going to stay there. 
And I, I like it. I like it for everybody. The Jazz get a pretty good player for the number 12 pick. I don't think they would have got someone at that talent in this draft at number 12. And then the Pacers getting yeah, they, Jeff T. They wind I mean, up taking Tari and Prince. Right. Yeah, which, yeah. No, I, I think it's the only thing I'd wonder about is, is that the number 12 pick to the Hawks. But like I said, they didn't really need him. But what they got back, I'm not sure that they got enough back. Yeah, and that, I really liked what the Pacers did, too. They, I think they gave up 21st pick for Thad Young. I think that's a great trade for them and the Nets. Um, I mean, the, the Nets just need everything they can to get in the future since all of their picks in the future are going to the Celtics. So they they need to get first-round picks somehow. And giving, giving up Thad Young, it won't help them out this year, but what are the Nets really trying to do this year? Right. I mean, honestly, they're trying to get worse if I'm them. So, I mean, it's really good trade. And – it's great on the other end too. I'm so happy for Thad. Like I, I've always said, when he gets bounced around, I'm, I'm, you know, it was a shame he went to Minnesota out of Philadelphia. He really wanted to play for a winner, and then he gets moved again. He ends up on the Nets. Now he's on a team that maybe next year, with the addition of Jeff Teague and you know, healthy Paul George, maybe they can try to make some moves. I don't know how much help Thad can give to them at this point in his career, but he's still a pretty good player. And I'm sure he'll get plenty of minutes. Um, I think they're still probably a player or two away. But I like the moves they're making. They're being really aggressive. Um, and they have a decent roster right now where if they get one or two more players, they can really compete for the, for the Eastern Conference, I think. And that starting lineup of Teague, Monte Ellis, Paul George, Thad Young, and maybe Miles Turner. I mean, that's that's a pretty good starting five, especially in the East. Absolutely. Like I said, it you know you might want to replace... Thad as a starter, or Miles Turner, although he he's looked pretty good so far, and if you can do that or get some good a couple of good bench players, they have some already. You know they can really really make a run. I think they'll definitely be. The East is tough next year, but they'll they'll be in the playoffs next year for sure. And 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 when Thad was on the Sixers team, he was kind of like the second option. And I, I look at that Sixers team that went to the playoffs. It was the last time they were in the playoffs. I think. They were, they were just one player away, and obviously that was a, a very good player because everybody that they had was one position. Like Andre Iguodala was the top option, and he would, he would have been a very good two option, and Thad would have been a very good three. So they were just that one. Everybody was just one spot away from where they should have been. Yeah, I mean, you can do that with, with a lot of teams, but that's true about that particular team. It was, it was a well-rounded team. They had a lot of guys who knew their role and everything, and they're I felt bad for Iguodala during that time because, like you said, he was once at least one spot further than he was supposed to be as far as an offensive option. Um, he's on a really good team now, and he's like the fourth option. But, you know, like the guys say when they're commentating, he's really it's, – it's incredible, and it's a credit to him, the backseat that he's taking because, honestly, he could easily be the second or third option on a really good team still at this point in his career, probably third. But – you know, I always felt bad for him during that time. And Thad was really good. I mean, Thad can score the basketball. So, yeah, I mean, him in that spot, you know, being the third or fourth option on the Pacers, I think he can definitely contribute for them. Yeah, and, I mean, one more player I wanted to talk about. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks took Thon Maker with a 10th pick overall. I mean, a, a lot of news coming out with him right before the draft about whether he was really 19, was he really 21 to 23 range. Um, I, I don't think there's any problem with that. I mean, the biggest surprise to me is when they interviewed him, I expected him to have like a, a pretty different accent. I mean, he was born in Sudan, lived in Australia for eight years, then moved to the U.S. and was lived in Canada. He just sounds American. <laughs> there's no accent whatsoever, but I, I think it's a really good pick by the, the Bucks at number 10. Yeah, I guess maybe he moved around a lot when he was young or something. I'm not, I'm not sure, but 
I do like to pick because the ceiling's so high. It's possible that he could be out of the NBA in two years, definitely. But there's so much potential here. I mean, he could really be something special. He's already, I think, over seven foot. And you might see a, a Joel Embiid situation. Now, you don't want him to grow too much because once you get over 7'3", seven, 7'4", seven, you start to get problems usually. Those guys tend not to last that long in the league because, you know, it's hard It's hard on your body when you're that, that size. But, you know, he really has a lot of basketball skill. He's, he's still really raw. But when I watch him play, there's so much potential there. And at number 10, I don't think they reach too high because, like I said, I think his ceiling is, is, is pretty high. And we've seen this before from the Bucks taking Giannis. Um, I guess that wasn't really that big of a risk. I think it was weight lottery, maybe 15th pick. Um, but very similar. I mean, he's got the length, um, has the talent. Uh, and, I mean, they're obviously doing a very good job of developing him. They're slowly becoming my second favorite team because you know how I feel about the height situation. And they <laughs> they are a very tall team, and they keep getting taller. And it's it's just another aspect of the game that you know you can't teach obviously you know you can't teach height so if you got a couple guys that can play and handle the ball and shoot and all that stuff and they're all really tall it just adds another dynamic because it's it's difficult to play defense on those guys because the release point on their shots is so high and and all that stuff but also and you know they play a lot more above the rim but that's not necessarily you don't really necessarily need that but also defensively it's so much easier to play defense, you can play further off of guys when you're seven foot with a seven five, seven six wingspan as well. So it really defensively closes down, you know, passing lanes and cutting lanes and all of that as well. And that's kind of why I, I like the height thing. But you got to have the talent too, and I think they I think they have a good balance of both. Yeah, I mean, you got to play. And they they also took Brogdon in the second round, which I really liked. Uh, it's just, I mean, they have so many players that are going to need time. It's going to be interesting to see how they, they do that. I mean, Middleton was rumored uh, to be on the block right at the trade when, I mean, Boston was rumored to be trading with everybody. So who knows how true that was. was and Butler was almost traded with Timberwolves, apparently. I mean, none of this obviously happened, so who knows how close it was. It not really true. Um, but it, it's interesting to see what's going to happen with Ricky Rubio and Chris Dunn, both point guards on the Timberwolves. Um, I don't think they can play together. So it's going to be interesting to see if they keep them both. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of teams like to bring someone in under somebody else to try to train them. And also it's it's nice to, you know, hedge your bet a little bit. To, you know, you don't know what Rubio might want to do if he maybe is there's some rumblings he doesn't like a situation. I don't know. I haven't heard anything like that. But who knows what's going on within the organization or Maybe they just don't know how good Chris is going to be and they want to see that first and then make a move, a trade during the season if they feel like Chris is the player they want to go forward with. Or if he looks really good but they still like Rubio, they can always move Chris Dunn as well. So, you know, that's probably something that's going to happen if Chris Dunn turns out to be good. One of those guys probably will get moved. But, you know, the thing I've been underrating, and we almost saw a crazy amount of this on draft night, is the trades. Because I've been talking about this offseason, but I've mostly been focusing on free agency. But, man, a lot of teams seem to be super aggressive in the trading aspect. There's a lot of rumors on draft night. Of course, not a lot happened. But this summer is going to be fun, not just for free agency, but I think also for uh, for a lot of trades might go down. And it could happen through next season, too. But there's a lot of teams trying to make moves right now. Yeah, I was expecting more. I mean, four, four teams in the first round. The Suns were actually busy. Uh, they got two top ten picks. They wound up trading the Kings for the number eight pick, Marquise Chris. Um, but Sixers, Nuggets, and Celtics didn't do anything with their first-round picks. So I was surprised at that. 
because um, there was a lot of rumors going around uh, with those three teams. And uh, we, we saw a lot of guys fall. And I, I think that's because those guys were taking riskier picks. Since they had three picks in the first round, they were willing to take those risks. Yeah, like I said, you know, there were some surprises as far as who didn't trade, which is not a usual thing to say after uh, a draft. But, you know, there was just, I think, so many rumors that kind of contributed to uh, why you know it was so surprising there weren't as many as as many uh, trades like I said, but it's not over. I think there's possibility. I mean, probably not the guys who were just drafted, but I think we're going to see a lot of guys get moved around. And I, like I said, I'm just looking forward to this off season with the free agency and also the trades. It's it's going to be a very different looking NBA come next year. Yeah, let's hit some of those big time free agents. I mean, we we talked about Durant. Um, I, my initial feeling is that he's going to stay in Oklahoma City. Well, let me ask you a question. He can he could just sign a one year deal, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I, and then next summer, him and Russ would be free agents. Right. I think for if I'm him, that's probably what I think about doing. But you know, he's gonna go. I suppose they're gonna go talk to a few teams, which of course he should do that um, and, and see what that looks like as well. And I, I I bet those teams would be willing to wait for him. Also, I mean, that's the kind of talent he is. Um, but. I, I do worry about getting injured and stuff like that. You know, I'd hate to, you know, if I'm him to go to try to, you know, sign a contract for one year and then you, you fear getting injured and that guarantee money kind of goes away. I, I, I mean, he's kind of set on the, you know, with all the endorsements he has probably, but um, I guess that would be a little bit of something I'd worry about probably. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that LeBron has done. Uh, we've seen him take the short contracts. Uh, LeBron hasn't had injuries. I mean, obviously Durant missed an entire season basically with an injury, foot injury, uh, and that's always troublesome for a seven-footer. Even though people refuse to believe that Kevin Durant's seven foot, <laughs> it's remarkable. Uh, I mean, he's basically a seven-foot shooting guard. That's what Kevin Durant is. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's ridiculous. I mean, I think LeBron, the reason he doesn't get injured is because of the way he plays. And the perfect example is the last play of the finals. He comes down the floor and he he does something he would never normally do. He tries to throw down a ridiculous dunk on some on on a, a player. He, that's not something he does normally because why? What happened in the aftermath? He hurt his wrist, but he realized that that play, a this is for all the marbles. But B, if I break my leg, I don't have to come back. Not that he thought he was going to do that, but it was. There is no next play. This is it. So I can't, you know, go soft on this play. I can go all out. I can go. And he did. And what did he do? He landed funny on his wrist. But he plays smart. He plays hard. I don't. I don't doubt that. He hits the deck occasionally, but you don't see him on the ground that much. And I know he's big, but he's smart about you know where he puts his body and his way he positions and when he goes down the lane and someone's there and he could get into a situation where he might get injured he'll back off and take a different kind of shot and honestly you might blame him for that but I don't another free agent that I'm interested to see how much money he gets and where it goes is Harrison Barnes lost I think he lost a lot of money in his final he played awful um not sure where he goes but I think it's not going to be a max contract or near max contract that he wanted so you're sure he's leaving uh, yeah, I don't think he comes back. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, with the climate of the NBA right now, like I said, I think a lot of teams think they're very close, and I could see him getting a max contract. Now, I don't think he deserves it, and I think it's a stretch, but it wouldn't shock me if someone gave him a max contract just because I think, like I said, a lot of teams think they're close, and some of them are kind of desperate also. But 
he's he's a really good player, but he's not a max guy. I wouldn't give it to him. But um, he's got a lot of money either way. He's still going to demand that, even as bad as he played in the finals. That being a lot of guys played bad in that finals for for uh, for the Golden State Warriors. So I, I don't think it's going to hurt him that much. Uh, but obviously, I mean, if he had come out and played really well, he'd probably be in a lot better position. And it's amazing, really, what one championship series can do as far as you know the next contract you get. It's 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 shocking. Uh, I'm going to read some names out for you. Just. Give me your initial reaction if you think they're going to stay uh, at their current team or they're going to head out. Okay. Uh, Mike Conley with the Grizzlies. He's going to go. He's going to go. Yeah. Pal Gasol with the Bulls. Wow, that's a tough one. Um, that's a tough one. I'm going to say Pal stays. I think he goes. I think I think he went out of Chicago with all their troubles. Yeah, there is a lot uh, of trouble. Sorry. Manu with the Spurs. Oh, he stays. We, what? If I'm him, why not? He's only playing a few minutes a game. Um, they're a really good team who could possibly win a championship next season. I think he'd be silly to leave. Eric Gordon with the Pelicans, which I, I don't know what's going on with Eric Gordon. I'm going to say he's going to go. Yeah, I don't know where he goes, but I yeah. think he's gone. Yeah, he, I think he's going to – I don't know. I, I think he's going to go, though. Go though. Al, Al Ford Hawks. He stays. Stays, and and that's gonna be it's gonna be that team. Yeah. Um, is I don't know where they are without him. Just um, pay him. He goes, Whatever he wants, pay him. Just. Uh, so th- this player, he's definitely gonna go. But give me your reaction of where you think he's gonna go. It's Dwight Howard. Oh, uh, do we have to? <laughs> he goes to New York. Yes, he does. A hundred percent. Although, although, 100%. although, with this caveat. Yeah. Unless I'm trying to do this, and I heard this the other day, and this this sounds outrageous, but I wouldn't put it past any of these people. I heard a guy's theory that the trade for Derrick Rose has nothing to do with Derrick Rose. It actually has everything to do with them getting rid of Derrick Rose after next season and trying to get LeBron, Chris Paul, and Dwayne Wade to go to New York and play with Carmelo. Not going to happen. I don't, I, I don't think Dwayne Wade would ever leave Miami, but... I could definitely see Paul and LeBron going to New York, especially if if the Cavs repeat this year. Yeah, uh, I mean, because then he came be... home, he got his he got his titles. Now he's got the temptation to go, you know, have a good time. He's going to be thirty three or whatever. Let me go have a good time with my boys. I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, and the last one I have is Dion Waiters with the Thunder. Come on, man. There's one more that I'm going to make you talk about, but. Dion Waiters. Oh, oh, sorry, yeah. Dion Waiters is Dion Waiters is gonna stay. And then the one that you wanted to talk about, I, I can't believe you uh, went out of my mind. But Hassan Whiteside, I yes. assume you're talking about. Yeah. Um. See, the thing is, I don't know what the Heat's. They're hesitating. He wants. He wants max money. Like he's not staying if he doesn't get max money. Um. So it's really not about whether he's gonna stay or go. Because he'll if they give him max, he'll stay. I'm going to say he's going to end up gone because I don't think they're going to offer him max, and you know Mark Cuban's going to. Man, he, he likes that yogurt in Miami. That's why he's going to stay. Yes. So <laughs> Kevin is referring to my girlfriend actually was uh, taking a break from work, I guess, and was walking around. I guess they went to a yogurt shop, and she actually was 
standing in line right beside Hassan Whiteside in the yogurt shop. And he didn't even get anything, apparently. He just went in there. I guess he was just wandering around. I don't know. He's just killing time, wandering around, wandered into a yoga shop, or yogurt shop, sorry, taking pictures with people and apparently didn't buy any yogurt. So who knows? Uh, I would really like to see that picture of Aaron standing next to us on my side. <laughs> yes, my girlfriend is only five foot, five foot one, foot one maybe. Is I, I think he's over seven feet tall. So uh, that's a good solid two feet in between the two of them. <laughs> but um, yeah, it should be interesting to see if he's going to stay. Like I said, it's going to come down to whether the Heat offer Max money. But I don't think they're going to do it, and I think he's going to he'll end up in Dallas. I think end up in Dallas. Yeah, I could see that. You know Mark Cuban, he's and, not uh, shy. Yeah, and I mean Dirk opted out, but um, he's not going anywhere. I mean, I didn't even feel like asking you that question because Dirk's staying there. He said as long as they're not going to rebuild and want him there, or not want him there, he's going to be there. Yeah, so, I mean Dirk's staying in Dallas. Right. I think he opted out because he might. He might. He's always takes pay cuts. He's going to take another one, but um, he might at this point start taking league minimum. I, I wouldn't put that past him because that's the kind of person he is. He He's, he already has money, and I'm sure he's got a bunch of endorsement deals. I mean, here and in Germany, he's huge over there, and maybe other places in Europe. But um, he might even take league minimum. I mean, that He wants to win. He, that's the only thing that goes through his mind is winning. Yeah, and if they sign Whiteside, matching him up with Dirk, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of height, and uh, they can definitely spread the floor. And that, that's... That'll be interesting to see. But like you said, I agree. If, if Miami offers a max, he's going to stay. Yeah, the last time he had the shot blocker, they won the championship. That's the thing he needs. He, you know, Dirk's never been able to play defense. And now that he's he's a little bit older, it's harder for him to move around. He's he, You know, if you're going to use him as much as you were last season, he's got to be only playing offense. He can't play. De- he can't be using energy on the defensive floor. He's not going to be able to play both sides. So it's, it's great. White side can play whoever the big man the other team has that's trouble and let Dirk play the other guy. And they have a decent roster. Again, they sign White side and maybe get one other player. I don't know if they have the cap space to also get Durant. I know they're going to talk to him, but, man, that could be something if they got both of them too. Definitely going to be an interesting offseason. And free uh, agency starts July 1st. That's when teams can start talking to them. I saw that Duran already has three teams lined up probably at midnight. Uh, he's going to be talking to those teams. So he'll be a very busy man, and we're going to be hearing a lot about Kevin Durant in the next week or so. Absolutely. I'm excited for all that, like I said, and other free agents and maybe some trades. So it should be, there should be a lot to talk about over this summer. It should be, should be a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and one name that we didn't talk about is Rajon Rondo, and let's just keep it that way. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, well, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, for Bill Golden, I'm Kevin McClernan, and this was Pick and Roll Podcast.